0: Jeff Fifield is frontman of The Contact, and he's here with The Antidote. Good to have you join in, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Obviously, you're the most important band member because you're the one that's here for this interview. <laughs> <laughs> but maybe you can fill us in about who else is involved and how The Contact came to be.
1: Oh, wow. Uh, currently, there's, uh, there's three other guys involved. Uh, my brother, who's on bass, Tim Fifield. On keyboard, we have Jordan Allen. And on drums, who's our most recent addition, uh, is Chris Jilks.
0: You've kept a lot of the original lineup intact. Well, obviously with you and your brother.
1: Yeah, yeah. It started way, way, way back in the day with a few different guys, which we stay in touch with. Um, But uh, the the original band members, who's remaining is myself, uh, my brother, Tim, and Jordan Allen. So uh, it's been... You know, like a lot of bands, I think it's, it's been a kind of an evolution of band members to a certain extent, and, but uh, currently we're a four-piece, and, and uh, that's kind of the, uh, the makeup.
0: Well, I want to go way back into the past here. Sure. <laughs> the Contact did their first EP back in, what was it, 2003?
1: That sounds vaguely familiar, yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, then I'm probably going to ask a question that you can't even recall now. A lot of bands are embarrassed by their first release. Are right. you still okay with what you put out back then?
1: Um, you have to remind me of of those songs. I think you know some of the things that we did there. Uh, I would say most of the material in that EP, if I can remember some of them. Um, you know, I think it was a good first kind of go. It was us partly learning how to record, partly learning how to song, write, Me learning how to song, write. Um, even back then, even, you know, 13, 14 years ago when we were writing those songs, I think we were still trying to write material that was, um, still kind of in the same theme as what we still write, where it's getting people to think it goes maybe a little bit deeper. There's a lot of metaphor in our songs. So even back then we had a lot of that. So there's, there is some congruency there, but, uh, at the same time, we, we were still definitely learning like most bands in their, in their uh, preliminary recordings. So, yeah.
0: Well, why don't we just bring it then two years closer to today's date? Because sure. <laughs> The Contact brought out your first full-length, Paralyzed from the Soul Up, in yeah. 2005. That one I have a copy of, but your first EP, I couldn't find any trace of that.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a rare thing.
0: Did you guys self-release that album, Paralyzed from the Soul Up?
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that was all self-released. We recorded that locally. Um, my brother was working uh, at a company at that time that actually had a, a studio in the building, and uh, we had access to that, and were able to, to use that and some of the gear that was there. And and uh, Jordan Allen, who's the keyboarder in the band, he's also a graphic designer, so he was able to do a lot of the graphic uh, work as well on that. And uh, So yeah, it was all kind of self-released and put forth for the public
0: I was wondering how you were able to manage to put that out because obviously that's the days before crowdfunding so yeah. that's how you're able to just do it because it was just homegrown
1: yeah it was homegrown and I think we you know we would have played some shows to help raise money and one of the band members at the time was uh, very much a businessman and still is and uh, very uh, smart at putting together money and funds to do that but part of it was for sure connections and and uh, kind of cutting some corners and some of those costs, um, as well. But yeah, because it was self-produced, we didn't have to pay a producer or, or things like that. So it was able to keep some of the, the cost down.
0: And the quality is perfect.
1: Well, that's, I guess, subjective, but, uh, we, <laughs> uh, we uh, you know, again, it's an, another step forward for the band after the first EP of trying to, to learn some things from that first attempt and to, uh, you know, to do some things a little bit differently. And maybe we're a little bit on less of a time crunch, which is good and bad for any band that is listening who knows all about that. That sometimes when you have no uh, time constraints in studios or less time constraints in a studio, that you spend uh, a lot of time and maybe don't make a lot of headway sometimes. So, (laughs)
0: uh, yeah. Okay, well then, 2007 came around and the contact yeah. signed with Seven Spin Records for the release of Canvas Tears. That label had a notorious reputation. So what was your experience like?
1: Uh, well, we had a kind of a connection to the label um, through a friend, actually. the uh, One of our friends locally um, was a brother of one of the, the guys who was running it or part co-owner of the, of the label. And so we just kind of made that connection. And... Um, were able to kind of move things forward. And at that point, we wanted to try to um, see if we could be further exposed to the uh, the US market. So we thought that that was maybe a good attempt with partnering with a label that was down there already. And a couple of the other uh, artists on that label, we, we kind of respected what they were doing and their sound. And so we thought that might be a good fit for us. And So that's kind of how that came about.
0: So you didn't have any issues with the label then? It worked out ah. for you?
1: No, you know what, I mean, maybe I'm out of the loop. We've been pretty separated from any of the issues that have happened with the label, but uh, we didn't have any direct issues uh, to speak of with with the label and and our own personal experience.
0: You spoke about being drawn into the U.S. market. I know that most Canadian artists that I speak with say that doing a band tour in Canada is a pain, you know, what with long drives between cities. So back in the Canvas Tears days, did the Contact have many Canadian dates, or did the band head into the States?
1: Uh, we did have some in Canada, but it was really we really tried to put a, our focus uh, on the States. And so we, we did a pretty, uh, would have been extensive tour for us uh, of like 40 dates within like uh, eight weeks or something like that. Or it was pretty much like a gig every day. When we were in the States, and because of just the layout of the land down there, there's such a high population density between, you know, pretty small drives. So, um, and we we kind of partnered up with a few other bands that were on the label and did kind of a, a multi-band uh, thing. That was really the uh, the emphasis back then that we did. And uh, and then after that tour, we we had a a band member leave. So then there was we were a little bit on hiatus after that.
0: Well, I got to be honest with you about my thoughts on Canvas Tears because I've described it as basically a perfect album. <laughs> That's great. I think what I really enjoyed about Canvas Tears was that it was more musically more experimental and the lyrics became more cryptic. Yeah. Canvas Tears had a lot of really critical success with several reviewers, even comparing the contact to U2, Radiohead, and Muse. But how did the album sell?
1: uh how did it sell that's a good question you know what when we were in the states we were exposed to we learned a little bit too about how um people buy albums differently down there than especially if you're doing you know shows within uh with any kind of church market um people don't have debit cards at least they didn't back then so we were used to when we did tours in canada where you know, youth and and teenagers and things that they would buy albums with with debit cards and they wouldn't have a whole lot of cash, and so we uh, we learned pretty quickly when we were down in the states that you know that wasn't really how it worked down there and and a lot of uh, people didn't buy albums like that they they carried smaller amounts of cash and the bands that had kind of merch that you know had uh, smaller price points they were the ones that were able to to make greater revenue and so albums album sales were were pretty good. Um, but the thing that was happening at at that time, too, there was a crazy uh, change in how people even consume music, right? So um, digital download, and you know, was was really becoming the, the main way that people were getting their free music. We would even have gigs where people would come up to the merch table, and they would kind of look at it, and they'd say, like, is this online? And they said that they were just going to download it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's... That's just the reality of how, you know, the market has changed now where, you know, bands really don't sell hard copies of albums anymore. Uh, Unfortunately, I kind of miss that because I've always loved having the hard copy and the liner notes and all those things. But, you know, the industry was changing pretty rapidly at that time. So, you know, for me to say that, oh, we sold lots of CDs, I would be lying compared to maybe even some of the earlier, you know, CDs like the EP and Paralyzed from the Soul Up because... You know, the market and the culture hadn't really changed a whole lot then when we, when those were released. So just in the span of a few years, uh, there was quite the change.
0: Well, can I make you happy and tell you that I've actually got a copy of Canvas Tears on CD?
1: Oh, that's great. Yeah, no, we we, uh, we were quite happy with that album and just not only just the recording, but just the presentation of the whole thing. Um, we are really pleased with how it came out.
0: We have to talk about the lead song, Black Sea, from Canvas Tears. That's an incredible song. Thanks. I know that the band used the term Black Sea as a metaphor, but Mm -hmm. did living in Halifax, I mean, being on the edge of the Atlantic, did that have any influence on it?
1: Oh, you know what? That's maybe subconsciously when I was writing those lyrics, you know, um, being exposed to... The ocean air every day. I don't know. I, I wouldn't say that directly had an influence on that, but uh, maybe in, in the back of my mind, uh, that was that was a factor. But uh, yeah, really, really, a, just a metaphor you see in the lyrics of that song of, of you know, sometimes um, as people of faith, we uh, we are in dark places, and it seems like we can't see ahead of us, and just a metaphor of kind of trudging through. The unknown, trudging through the dark place, um, but being triumphant on the other side. So for a lot of uh, just that way of speaking to the church in a way that's maybe different than what is common in terms of uh, the idea of being uh, opposed by the world and being kind of in opposition to, uh, you know, being countercultural in those types of ways. So, again, a lot of those songs were very much kind of written in that and that idea of um, moving against the grain, I guess, per se, and and, uh, being victorious in in how we live and using the metaphor to kind of drive that home, kind of giving it multiple layers.
0: Was that always who you were focusing for, to the Christian market, or were you trying to make it more Uh, general?
1: You know, uh, I would say uh, it's always been kind of general. We've always, as a band, we've always kind of seen ourselves somewhat of as kind of reaching into both a Christian uh, demographic but also into people who are who are searching who are interested in spiritual things and and so you know there, there definitely has been um, ways that we've written music and lyrics that is maybe not as uh, we try to stay away from Christian knees if I can use that term um, you know uh, language that is completely uh, inaccessible from the general market but at the same time we, we try to write in a way that um, maybe the general market has to think about and they and they they find interesting and they and dig deeper into and, and then both the uh, Christian market um, uh, is challenged by it and thinks about it deeper too. So
0: you did bring in a song on canvas Tears that was established in the general market you for guys, sure. Yeah, you did a cover of Peter Schelling's 1982 song Major Tom Coming Home. But here's a simple question for you: Why?
1: oh that is a good question um it started off as a suggestion from our producer and he he thought that it would be an interesting cover uh again there's metaphor in that that um could be taken kind of it's kind of the multiple layers of kind of representing you know uh major tom but also if you think about that deeper in terms of uh of uh, This again, this journey uh, of faith and this idea of um, kind of leaving the the temporal and entering the eternal. So it's yeah, it's uh, it was it was kind of one of those things. It was somewhat experimental for us, for sure. We we you know it was never even on our radar. And uh, again, one of those things where we thought that you know it could fit. It would uh, be kind of a connection point with maybe a more general market in which we were up for doing so. Those kind of few things transpired and it happened. Yeah.
0: Well, you did a better job than Schilling did with his original, <laughs> anyway. So who well, cares? Yeah.
1: Well, thank you. No, no, it was uh, it was fun to do, and uh, it was funny as uh, you know. After we we had done that, we we had noticed you know in the following months and and next year there was a couple other bands that had done a, a cover of it, and and uh, who knows if they had if they had heard ours or if they had just you know. A few different minds were thinking the same thing at the same time. I don't know, but uh, it, w- it was kind of funny that uh, a few different bands were doing that.
0: Okay, so we talked about two radically different songs from the album here. Did you have a personal favorite from Canvas Tears?
1: Wow, um, it's that's hard. You ask any artist their personal favorite. It's like uh, it's like having a favorite child. It's they kind of all are. Are special to us in different ways and I mean there's I think some of the songs maybe turned out better in terms of how we had imagined them in our mind perhaps in others but it's hard for me to say that I had uh, I had one that was kind of a favorite um, yeah I mean I, we really like where where do we go um, that's one of those ones that we really liked how that came out on the album and we really like how it comes out live Uh, how we played that and how we would uh, extend the ending to that song and have a lot of fun with it. But that was one of my favorites, I would say. But again, don't tell the other songs I said that.
0: (laughs) Okay, I'll keep it closed on that one. I was in touch with The Contact a couple of years ago about your new recording plans. (laughs) Yeah. You messaged me back and said, this album will have a different sound compared to Canvas Tears as yeah. we've been exploring different instruments and sound palettes. So yeah. what do those changes involve?
1: Oh, I think, again, I think it's kind of, maybe as we'll get to a little bit, I think it's uh, it's shying away a little bit from being as hard-driven by guitars and um, exploring a little bit more of different sounds with keyboards. Um, at the same time, I say that there is, you know, there's songs that we've... We've pretty much finished recording that are, that are very heavy, driven with guitars and lots of keys. I mean, that's always been our sound. But we'll see if they're released. And um, but I think I think the idea is to change it up a little bit and to uh, to experiment a little bit more with uh, you know with keyboard sounds and soundscapes and uh, tones like that. So um, yeah, it's hard to say. You know what I mean? Like nothing's uh, complete until it's until it's uh, finally recorded and sent away so uh at this point i can't even tell you how uh, any other song besides that first single is gonna, gonna turn out but I'm trying to keep things different and fresh
0: so here it is we're almost a decade after the release of canvas tears what makes you want to keep going or to get back into the game with you know putting out singles
1: uh we love doing that we love to write and record um we in terms of uh any kind of extensive touring I, I don't foresee uh that being a part of our future you know never know things might change but we're going to become potentially one of those bands that you know kind of retreat to our our little recording uh, space that we have to create something craft something and release it and maybe once in a uh, a while kind of make an appearance and and uh play things live but We're kind of coming to a point where that's just kind of how it fits our lifestyle, and we like doing that, and we we have um, a lot of the equipment that we're able to do that now for relatively inexpensive, and that's part of the the beauty of recording technology these days as well, is that you're able to make a really good product um, with not a lot of equipment. It's kind of sad. You know what? Like, As a funny story, when we've been rehearsing for gigs recently, this is... It, I, I find it funny, anyways. But there's there's been times when I, I haven't been able to find a copy of my own CD or my own material, and I'll actually go on the internet to find the lyrics of the songs from that someone has posted that I wrote. It's uh, <laughs> just to remember them and hear the hear the guitar parts recorded. And you know, oh yeah, that's what I played. Oh yeah, that's what I sang. So that's how old some of the things are in the back caves of my mind. So. <laughs>
0: What have the band members been up to since 2007?
1: <laughs> well, we've uh, we've all gotten married and all have kids now, and you know, life is busy, and uh, and so you know, besides our day jobs, you know, we 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 try to get together and to create something and to something that we like and something that you know we're happy with, and then kind of chip away at it, and then as we see in the new single, once we feel like. We've got it to a place where it's like, yeah, this this feels like it's it's right. And um, to put it out there, we also feel like this uh, Vanity Ball that we've released is, even though it was written over the course of the past nine years, essentially shortly after we, we finished uh, touring with Canvas Tears, um, it's still relevant and it still feels like it's, uh, modern and contemporary and not like sounding like something from nine years ago so so we were really happy with that after we uh, uh, completed
0: it it has to be the perfect song because it's been nine years that you've worked on it
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it's it's that's uh, kind of embarrassing um, but uh, that's just the reality of it now and uh, it's gone through different variations but actually that that song out of all the the newer ones that we're working on has probably had the least amount of, uh, of changes over the course of time. So uh, it's just, it was just kind of one of those songs that, that came out and, and uh, was meant to be.
0: I'm wondering if with the song lyrics, if you weren't also speaking to yourself, one line of the lyrics from Vanity Ball includes the term, I will be restored. I mean, I think really yeah. you could use that to describe the contact, that you're now restored as a band.
1: Yeah, no, I never, you know, I never even thought about that, but, uh, there is a little bit of that redemptive, uh, restoration kind of language in there. So, um, yeah, I've, I've never really thought of it that way, but, uh, uh, it could be again, like all of our songs, there could be multiple layers there and, and that almost subconsciously is coming out this idea of, you know, there's been this fairly long, uh, hiatus of the band or at least to the public and, uh, and to putting something out there and ending it with that song with that line is uh, is maybe quite fitting.
0: When I first went to get Vanity Ball off of Bandcamp, you've also indicated that hey, some of this money could go towards recording new singles. Hmm. Any more immediate plans?
1: Well, um, I don't know if it said recording or, but we've 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 recorded a bunch of material already, and uh, where we feel like we want to spend money, if people so choose to, to pay for the single, uh, is to uh, mix and to master the songs. So that's one of those things that we feel uh, people with more skilled hands uh, can uh, to take the songs to a better place than us to mix it. So that's, that's kind of what we were hoping for, is you know, over time you know, to have some funds to do that, to, to release uh, more songs that we've already recorded. We'll see what happens over the over the course of, of time. Um, what happens with uh, our next uh, song that we've chosen to release?
0: But you're going to keep that under wraps for now.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, we we don't want to tell people a song that's coming out when we don't know when it's coming out and uh, what song it is. So, you know, we're we're happy to, to keep people in that suspense. I guess you know if they if people really want another single, then I guess they should uh, help donate and buy that the first single.
0: jeff this has been a real pleasure because man i've been wanting to talk to the contact for a long time thanks for meeting with the antidote
1: hey no thanks for having me it has been a long time since uh we've been able to uh connect so uh thanks again for having us and and exposing the band a little bit more